Good morning. Beautiful day out there, isn't it? All right. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, I took my family down to Florida to, uh, to visit my mom. And uh, we got to the airport, and uh, we got down to Florida, and we got in a cab, and we're on our way down. And um, my cab driver, to say that he was memorable is, is probably an understatement. Um, his name was John, um, and he was from New Jersey. And really just a great guy. We talked the whole way down there. We, we really hit it off. Uh, but you know those mafia-type-looking guys? Um, so that was him. Big, big guy. Big frame, big gut, big, loud voice. And uh, we were talking, just got into all sorts of conversations. But I was asking him, you know, so what were you doing, what were you doing before, you know, you were, you were driving down here in Florida? And he said, oh, you know, he had this big, you know, heavy New Jersey accent. And he said, oh, you know, I was... I was up north, and, and I was actually the chief negotiator for, uh, for General Motors. He's like, I was the guy that, um, he goes, actually what happened was, for six years, he's like, I worked for the union. And uh, I gave them so, so many fits. This guy was just hard-charging, you know, uh, bullheaded kind of guy, right? And he just wouldn't take no for an answer. And so for six years, he just gave GM fits. And so what they did after six years, they got so tired of it that they hired him. They hired him to come on to their side, and he actually became the chief negotiator for GM with the union. And uh, he, was, he worked for GM for 31 years. And he was actually the guy that one time when they had to shut the plant down, he would always threaten that, hey, if we can't get to an agreement, I'm going to shut this plant down. And he was the guy that would actually walk with the chain and, like, and the lock and, and like, lock the gate to shut down the plant. So this guy was not the kind of guy that you wanted to mess with. You just kind of got that vibe from him. So um, anyway, we're talking, and he, he's like, I'm like, well, you know, what made you, what made you leave? Did you retire? And he's like, well, not exactly. Didn't exactly retire. He said, um, he said you know, the job was so stressful. It, it was just, it was, it was so demanding. He said, um, and, and I, you know, like two weeks before I left, he goes, I was getting headaches that were so bad they were constant. He looked at me, he goes, I was eating 100 Advil a week. I was like, man, that's like 14 a day. That's crazy. He was 100 Advil a week. This is not the kind of guy that goes to the doctor. You know what I'm saying? This is not that kind of guy. He doesn't do that, okay? But it was so bad, okay, that he finally goes to the doctor. He can't take it anymore. It's that bad. So he goes and he sits down in the doctor's chair. He's telling me this story. Oh, my gosh. This is crazy. So he sits down in the doctor's chair, and he's telling the doctor what happened. The doctor says, okay, well, let me take your, your blood pressure. So the doctor takes his blood pressure, gets his right arm, takes his blood pressure, and he goes, well, that, that can't be right. Like, that's impossible. So he puts the, the, the cuff on the, on the left arm. He takes the blood pressure again. And he goes, oh, my God. He goes, don't move a muscle. <laughs> and John's like, what? He goes, your blood pressure is 270 over 110. I got a little chart up here. Can we put that chart up? Where's that chart, Bobby? Okay. So hypertensive crisis, emergency care needed, is like higher than 180 over higher than 110. He's 270 over 110. I have no idea what 270 over 110 meant, so that's why I had to find the chart and do it. But, but basically, and this is no, no joke, the doctor goes, don't move. Don't even breathe. He's like, just sit there. And John's like, what? I feel fine. He's like, no, we're calling an ambulance. They called an ambulance, took him from that doctor's office straight to the hospital, and he was in the hospital for four days on all sorts of, like, blood thinners and, and, and blood medication. 
And it was crazy. And, uh, and so the, the doctor basically told him, he said, look, he said, here's the deal, man. And this guy had been 31 years at GM. He said, look, John, he said, if you go back there, he goes, you'll be dead in a year, guaranteed. There's no way. You'll be dead in one year, guaranteed. And so this hard-charging guy from New Jersey got the message. And so he had a meeting that next day after he got out of the hospital with his bosses. And uh, several days later, he took off in a car with his wife. They drove straight on down to uh, Sarasota, Florida, just, just south of uh, Tampa. And they, they never looked back. They've been there ever since. And now he's uh, got a little taxi cab business down there. Um, and I asked him, I was like, man, so like, what's your blood pressure now? You know? And he said, no, I'm, I'm totally normal. I don't remember what the number was. He said, I'm, I'm in totally normal range. I'm like, man, how many blood pressure medications are you on? Because this guy, you know, still, you don't fully, even though you can get out of New Jersey, you don't fully get New Jersey out of you. You know what I'm saying? Like he was still, we're in Florida and he's still, you know, commenting on bad driving skills of other people and, you know, different things like that. And so um, he, I'm like, how many blood pressure medications are you on? He goes, none, none. He goes, all I had to do he goes, was just get out of that crazy city and get out of that crazy job. That was what it took for me. Well, we live in a pretty crazy city ourselves, don't we? A pretty stressful city. Uh, I was reading some of the latest um, studies that were put out by uh, Forbes magazine. They do, they do these different things about, you know, most expensive cities, you know, worst commute and that sort of thing. And uh, D.C., we're pretty good because we made the top 10 in many different categories. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty cool. We're the top 10 in terms of most expensive, in terms of cost of living. Um, and we were number seven in traffic, worst traffic in the country, which the only saving grace apparently is because of our metro system, which is pretty, is pretty good. But um, get this, um, they, they said that there was this number, which we were actually number one in terms of, in terms of traffic. According to this, uh, from 2008, a Forbes, Forbes study, um, only one in four people in D.C. can get to work in less than 20 minutes. Only one in four people can get to work in less than 20 minutes. We're the worst in the country. I'm like, one in four? That's no way it's that high. Who the heck gets to work in 20 minutes? That's nuts, man. Like, where are they getting their research from? That's crazy. But, um, you know, it's, it's a wild city. And I don't know, I, I don't think I've ever been in a city in my life. I've lived a lot of different places. But I've never been in a city where there's so many, like, type A people. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone is here because they're either getting trained up to, like, you know, go serve somewhere overseas, State Department or military, or they're here to save the world, you know, and they're here to do nonprofit. I mean, everyone here is like hard charging, go getting. And I think the expectation level is nuts. I mean, let alone the pace of work. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's wild, man. This is a pretty stressful city. And so what we're going to talk about today, the message uh, title today is dealing with the stress of city life. And we're going to take a look at what does the Bible say? Is there some instruction for us? Is there any wisdom that we can get from God, from his word, on how to deal with this stress, how to manage the stress of a fairly stressful city that is Washington, D.C.? But what I want to say before we even jump in to the Bible message today is that there are many of you right here sitting in your seat who you don't need the Bible at all to tell you what you need to do to deal with some of the stress that you're dealing with right now. Because here's the deal. For many of you, and you know, if I'm talking to you, you know who you are. 
you already know. You already know that there is some change that you need to make. You already know you're sitting here and you already know that there's something that is just eating at you. Kind of like, you know, may not have been as dramatic as, as your doctor telling you you're 270 over 110 and you'll be dead in a year. But there's many of you. And what you're realizing right now is that you know that your job is just killing you. You know it. You know you have to make a change. Or your living situation right now is just causing you more stress than you're capable of managing. Or there's some relationship that you're involved in, and the reality is it's just causing you more stress than you can bear. For some of you, what's causing you stress in your life right now, you, you don't need any Bible passage to tell you this, because you know that there's some there's something in your life, there's some wrong that you need to make right. And what I want to encourage you to do is just, you know, to go ahead and think and pray on that. And actually, um, what we're going to do today is towards the end of the service, before we conclude the service, we are going to give everyone time to do that. We're going to create some sacred space here where you can actually have a conversation with God and make some commitments about what you need to do. But I just encourage you, if you're here and something is already just eating at you and you know you have to make a change, I want to encourage you, make that change. Talk to God about that thing that you might need to change. Now, for others of us who are here this morning, we don't necessarily need to make a change to a situation. We don't have something that's just glaring at us, that's nagging at us, that we know we've been trying to ignore that's saying, you need to make a change. You need to change this thing. For some of us, we don't need to change the situation. What we need to change is how we deal with that situation. We need to change how do we manage the stress that is inevitably coming our way, that there's really nothing that we can do about it. Okay, That is what I want to talk about this morning. How do we deal with the stress that we really don't have much control over? And so we are going to look at Philippians 4, 6. That's our verse we're going to anchor in today. Many of you have heard this verse before. It is, it's an incredible verse of scripture. Um, but what I want to challenge you with is I think you might have heard this verse before and said, Man, oh yeah, I love that verse. Sounds so good. What we're going to try and do today is we're going to focus in on that verse and we're actually going to try and apply that verse in our lives. That's part of what we're going to do at the end is we're going to actually try and practice what Philippians 4, 6 is saying. So before we jump in, why don't we say a word of prayer together? Lord God, um, we thank you that we could come here this morning. And uh, God, um, this is a pretty stressful town that we live in. Um, Lord, help us to just deal with the stress in our lives. Help those of us who are, uh, already know we, there's something we need to make a change. Give us the courage to, to, to make that change and to do what we need to do. Uh, Lord, for the rest of us, uh, we're diving into your word this morning. Give us wisdom. Give us insight in how to manage that stress your way. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. So Philippians 4, 6 starts out this way. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. So I want to give you two things this morning from Philippians 4, 6 for how do we deal with the stress of city life. And the first one, right out of Philippians 4, 6, is don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. You may be saying, that's impossible. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. The, uh, the National Science Foundation funded a study over 40 years ago. It was a study on worry, and it was actually conducted by a researcher named Walter Calvert. And um, 
the research came back from studying thousands of people on the subject of worry. And here's what this NSF commission study came back and said. And I want you to fill these in and just kind of let this, let this soak in a little bit. Okay, here is the data on worry, according to this study. 40% of our worries never happen. Fill that in. 40% of the things that we worry about never, ever take place. They never happen. 30% of our worries concern things that happen in the past. They're not things that are going to happen. They're things that already did happen. Things that happened in our past. 12% of our worries, this study found, are unfounded health concerns. Things that never ultimately come to pass. Okay? 10% of our worries are minor, trivial issues, things that are deemed immaterial, inconsequential, things we get all wrapped up thinking about, but ultimately really aren't important at all. And so does anyone have the math on what percentage is left? 8%. And we got some good, good, good math folks in here. So the study found that only 8%, less than 1 in 10 things, 8% of our worries are real, legitimate concerns that we're worrying about. That's amazing to me. Only 8%. I love how Jesus says it in part of his Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the fact that we shouldn't worry. We're not to worry. And Jesus, in the, in the middle of this, of, of this um, teaching that he's doing, he says in Matthew 6, 27, he, he gives us this great truth about worry. He says, can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to his life? See, what Jesus is saying there is that worry is a useless activity. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's something that's kind of weird and paradoxical about worrying, you know? Because you actually, like, even though you're not doing anything, you kind of feel like you're doing something. So it kinda ma- it's kind of comforting because you feel like you're stewing over it and worrying about it. And, and so, you know, it's, even though you're, you're not really, nothing's happening, but you, you feel like something is. Um, you know that word worry? Uh, the English word worry is derived from an old German word. And I couldn't possibly pronounce that word for you. But that old German word uh, means to choke or to strangle. That's where the word worry comes from. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's kind of this mental strangulation that we do to ourselves when we worry. I want you to notice uh, in those words in Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything. What I want you to notice is, because you might have heard this verse before, you think, oh, that's a great verse, you know, oh, that's beautiful. That's not a suggestion, you guys, okay? That's not an encouragement that God gives to us. That is a command that God gives to us. He commands us, do not worry. Now, this may be, for some of us, the hardest command that God gives us in the entire Bible. But it's not just written here. Jesus, as we mentioned in that section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says three times. You think he's trying to make his point? Okay, three different times. Matthew 6.25, 6.31, and 6.34. We've got those verses up there. But basically, each time Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Okay, this is, this is a command. This is an instruction that we have from God. And you may be like, hold on, okay, that's great and everything, but seriously, like, I can't help it. It's just the way that I'm wired. I worry. I just do. 
That's just how God made me, right? Well, here's the thing. You know, if, if we couldn't control worry at all, like if we totally could not help it, then I don't know that God would give us a command that we couldn't obey. You know, it's like God doesn't say, well, don't breathe. Don't go to the bathroom, you know. Those are off limits. Don't, don't do those things. No, God says don't worry. And so I want to just gently push back on you a little bit. If you're the type of person, like my mother-in-law, for example, like she basically has two hobbies in life. Um, and her two hobbies, hobby number one is shopping, and hobby number two is worrying. And it, she, it, she will just move from one thing to the next to worry about. And if she has nothing to worry about, then you know what she's worried about? What to worry about. You know what I'm saying? That's just, just, that's just her wiring, okay? And I want to push back if you, are, if you feel a little bit like that. Like, I just, honestly, I can't help it. Here's what I want to say to you. Yeah, you may be more prone to worrying. Like, some people are just wired up. They just worry and count the cost and, you know, maybe do more of the worst-case scenario type planning things. I mean, there's some of us out there who just do that stuff. So I'm not saying it's easy, but you have more control over it than you think. I mean, you're the one that controls your thought patterns. You're the one that decides where you're going to fix your attention. And I just want to say this, you guys. Uh, I find that sometimes when I'm worrying, and this is maybe just like confessions of a control freak. I don't know. Any other control freaks out there? Okay. A lot of type A's are control freaks, just so you know. Um, when I'm worrying, what I'm really doing is I'm trying to control a situation that I have no control over. A lot of times, that's what's happening. I am trying to control something that ultimately is only in God's control. And so in a sense, when I do that, when I worry in a situation and I'm really just kind of trying to control it in my own way because I just can't let go of the control, what I'm actually doing is I'm kind of playing God, you guys. You know? And that's, that's not necessarily a good thing to do. So what I want to say is um, there are some of you who are here and, and you might be saying, man, like, you know, I, I feel like I've got this, this, this Christianity thing pretty figured out and I feel like, you know, I, I got a lot of different things that I'm doing well and, um, and maybe you're like, yeah, I, don't, I, I could use like a good challenge. Well, let me give you a challenge. If you're the kind of person who uh, you worry about a lot of things, that might be the biggest area where you might have overlooked in your Christian life. Because it clearly tells us, God gives us a command in Scripture. It says, do not worry. We are not supposed to worry. So maybe that's the area that you could focus on. Now you may be saying, well, how the heck do we do that? Do not worry? That's crazy. I mean, that's like saying, don't think about the Krispy Kreme donuts that are out in the lobby. You know, they're right there in your face. How do you not, how do you not think about those donuts, right? How do you not worry? Well, let's look at the second part of Philippians 4, 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so the way that we shift our mind from the worry, the, the second thing that we do is we pray about everything. So we don't worry about anything. We pray about everything. And what happens here is there's a fundamental shift that takes place. That's what Philippians 4, 6 is trying to convey. There's a fundamental shift where you shift from focusing and fixating on the stress, the things that are stressing you out, the things that are worrying you. And you shift all that over and you focus your attention on God. In that same passage um, where Jesus is teaching about not worrying and that worrying is this useless activity, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life, 
the conclusion, after Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, the conclusion, what Jesus ends with is he says, here's, but here's how you do it. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be given to you as well. You have to shift your focus, as difficult as that is, from those things that are stressing you out, those things that are worrying you, and you have to shift your attention and your thoughts and your focus to God, how big God is, how awesome God is, how God is the one who is able to fully deal with these problems that you think you have to deal with on your own. What I find amazing from Scripture, uh, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, probably the, the part of the Bible that I go to the most, is the Psalms. Okay? They're in the Old Testament, and they're so cool. And uh, one of the reasons why they're so cool and so amazing is because uh, you can always find them really easily. They're, like, right in the middle. And they're the biggest. So it's, <laughs> that's, that's cool in and of itself. You know, you don't have to, like, flip around to find those psalms. But um, there's different kinds of psalms. And if you don't know what the psalms are, they're, this, I think, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in his word. Because, basically, it's 150 songs that are these prayers right? We don't have the music anymore. We don't know how they were sung or played or whatever, but they're originally um, songs to God, but they're prayers and they're model prayers. And what's so cool about them is there's all different kinds of prayers. Many of them are attributed to, um, to King David, but many of them we don't know uh, who wrote those Psalms. Um, there's these different types. And so um, there's, there's psalms of, of worship and adoration to God. There's psalms of thanksgiving. But does anybody know the, the, the biggest category of those 150 psalms, the biggest type of psalms that there are, the, the ones that more than any other kind? Anybody know? It's the lament. It's called the psalm of lament. And you just flip through those psalms. You just kind of crack open your Bible at about halfway in. You'll, you'll be in the psalm somewhere. And you just start to flip through. And you won't get very far, because I think it's a, close to like 40% of all the psalms that are there, are these cries out to God. It's people in stressful situations who are worrying, who are anxious, who are dealing with all kinds of th- things, or they're feeling like God has, is far from them. God's not listening to them. God hasn't heard their prayer. Their enemies are rising up right? These are, these are just real and raw cries out to God. God, I am losing it. God, where are you? Why are you hiding your face from me? Now, what's so cool about these Psalms is what they represent and, and why I love to go to the Psalms. I mean, whatever mood you're in, wherever you are with God, you can find a Psalm that will, that will kind of help you to identify with that, where you are with God. And so you'll flip through, and what you'll find is, if you see a psalm, and it's saying, you know, the, the psalmist is crying out to God. Oh, God, help me. I'm so, where are you? And I feel so lost, and I'm so stressed out. Okay, what you'll find is that the psalmist will go on this rant, just an honest cry to God. And, and that's basically God saying, hey, you can do that kind of thing. That's why I, I, I included them in my word. So you can, that's how you can cry out to me, just be totally real. But what's so cool, you guys, about the Psalms and all those laments, and I challenge you to find one that doesn't do this. Every single one that I've ever read starts out with, cry to God, God, why have you left me? God, I'm so stressed out, man, man. And then, and then there's a turn towards the end of that Psalm. And the shift is from shifting on the stress and the worry and the desperation and what's happening in that moment. And always the Psalmist returns to focusing on who God is how big God is. 
on what God has done in the past to deliver his people. That God is good and that, that I'm going to trust in God even when I don't fully understand. The Psalms, these laments, represent this thing that we have to wrap our minds around. We have to somehow, someway, even though it may be the hardest thing we can do, we've got to shift and fix our thoughts from, from that thing that is stressing us out and consuming us to focusing on who God is and how awesome our God is. Now, for those of you who are maybe saying, yeah, but, you know, does God really care? I mean, you know, does God really even want to hear my prayers, let alone answer my prayers? Well, I just want to let you know that many times in Scripture, it tells us this. Jesus came, and that was one of the things that, that he taught over and over. I've included a few verses there. Um, one of the ones that I really like is Matthew 7, 7. Um, and, and actually, if you look at the, the Greek the, the wording there has to do with not just, not just ask and, and seek and knock, but it's this idea of keep on doing it. God wants you to keep on asking. God wants you to keep on praying and bringing those prayers. It says keep asking, and it will be given to you. This is Jesus speaking, making a promise. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened for you. He says in John fifteen seven, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And then again, John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So God wants us to bring our concerns, our worries, everything to him and to ask him. And it is his desire to answer those prayers. He can handle it when we can't. I want to leave you with uh, a final scripture. I'm actually going to ask the music team to go ahead and, uh, and, and come on up and join me up here on stage because um, we're going to do something special here um, to kind of conclude the last 10 minutes of the service in a different way. So uh, in 1 Peter 5.7, it's a great verse. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know what struck me about that verse? I've heard that verse before, but I never stopped to think about who wrote that verse. Inspired by God, but you know who wrote it? was Peter, Peter the Apostle. You know, Peter, the hard-charging, alpha male, you know, Jesus, tell me to walk on the water, I'll come out to you. Jesus, I'll defend you, cuts off that soldier's ear. You know, Peter, who often was a total knucklehead in a lot of the things that he did, but he was never, you know, he was always the first one to jump out and make it happen. He was the one that when Jesus got arrested, he actually, the only reason he denied Jesus three times was because he, he was one of the disciples who actually bothered to track after Jesus and was trying to do something about it, okay? So here was Peter, and he's this guy, can you relate to Peter, who like was always trying to figure things out, you know, in his own strength and his own power, so to speak, you know? And here he is, and you got to remember, he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman by trade. And notice that word. He says, Cast all your anxiety on him. Notice the imagery there? Like you're casting a net. Cast that. You know, whatever your cares are, whatever you're stressed about, cast that on him because he cares for you. Basically, that word cast has to do with unloading, right? Releasing your burdens, your cares, your stress onto something or onto someone. And so God is just reminding us through Peter, that we can do that. God wants us to do that. That's what he commands us to do. So what we're going to do here is we're going to create some sacred space. It's only 1020. So here's the deal. 
Not a single one of you is allowed to leave. And I'm not kidding. You have nowhere to be until 1030. Okay? I know you're type A. I know you want to get out and save the world and charge and do whatever you want to do. But this is God's time. Okay? This is, this is a time between us and God. And so what we're going to do is the music team is going to um, begin to play instrumentally the final song. It's a beautiful song that we're actually going to conclude with after we have this sacred space. What we're going to do, you guys, is not just say, oh, yeah, that, that sounded like a good idea. Philippians 4, 6, yeah, that's cool. I like that idea. No, no, no. We're going to do that right now. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about what are you worried about? What's been stressing you out? And you may be saying, well, I'm that kind of person. I don't really get stressed. Okay, what have you been thinking about a lot? What's occupying your mind? What do you keep working through and brainstorming and trying to figure out? What is it that you are trying to do in your own strength, in your own power? Okay, there may be some of you, and as I said in the beginning, you already know. You already know that there's some fundamental thing that you have to change because it's eating you alive a job, a living situation, a relationship, a, a wrong that you need to make right, okay? This is time where we are gonna, we're gonna dim the lights way down low. And I just want you to just use this time, just you and God, what do you need to say to God? What do you need to talk to God about? What do you need to cast? What do you need to just throw over to him, okay? So let's go ahead, we're gonna, we're gonna bring the lights down real low, okay? And uh, I'm going to start out with, just usher us into prayer. Father God, um, these next few moments are yours. Lord, deal with each one of us where we sit. Lord, we just offer these next few minutes to you. Lord, we just give you this time right now to just share what we need to talk to you about. Thank you.